Hey there, friend. Listen, I want to invite you to join me for an upcoming presentation I'm offering called How to Shift from Willpower to Want Power. If you're tired of feeling like you have the best of intentions with food and weight, only to have it all fall by the wayside by the time your head hits the pillow at night, then this is for you. If you're interested in making permanent weight loss easier and less of a struggle, then this is for you. If you're curious what want power is, which you probably should be, and can't wait to learn how to incorporate it into your journey toward peace and freedom around food, then this is for you. I'll be presenting live twice on Wednesday, May 1st, 2024, at both noon and 7.30 p.m. Central Time Zone. I'll answer your questions live and we'll have a really good time together. But if you can't make either of those days, I'm not going to make you get a replay emailed into your inbox only for it to get lost and never be watched no matter how deeply you want to make time to go through it. Because I mean, honestly, who are we kidding? (laughs) We've all done this, including me. No, instead, we are offering multiple watch parties for several days after the live presentation. So come watch the replay with other doctors and interact in the chat with them and my team. So either way, whether you come live or to a watch party, it will be worth your time for sure. All you have to do is register at katrinaubellmd.com forward slash want power. That's katrinaubellmd.com forward slash w-a-n-t-p-o-w-e-r. See you there. You are listening to the Weight Loss for Busy Physicians podcast with Katrina Ubell, MD, episode number 278. Welcome to the Weight Loss for Busy Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Master Certified Life and Weight Loss Coach, Katrina Ubell, MD. This is the podcast where busy doctors like you come to learn how to lose weight for the last time by harnessing the power of your mind. If you're looking to overcome your stress eating and exhaustion and move into freedom around food, you're in the right place. Well, hello, my friend. Do I ever have an excellent episode for you today? I'm so, so, so excited. Thank you for joining me. I'm so glad you're here. I have some really, really great information that I'm excited to share with you before we launch into my excellent guest interview today, Jody Moore. I'll tell you more about her in just a second. You're definitely not going to want to miss my good old friend, Jody Moore. She's she's great. She's a lot of fun and can't wait to introduce you to her. But before we jump into that, I, I want to let you know about a conference that I'm going to be attending myself personally. And I wanted to invite you to either attend in person or virtually. I think I might have talked about this last year. I think maybe I did because I spoke at it. <laughs> But it was all virtual then, but but in case I didn't, I'm just going to tell you more. So there is an excellent, excellent conference called the Canadian Women in Medicine Conference, so CWIM. They've been doing it for the last several years now, and um, they're looking to add some more non-Canadian friends to the mix. Also, you Canadians, you should be involved in this as well. And so it's a little bit late notice for attending in person But I um, just recently decided to go and maybe it'll work out for you too. So it's actually June 2nd through the 4th and it's in Victoria, BC. Now, I didn't know where that was. I will tell you just straight up. I looked and it's near Vancouver and Seattle. It's kind of like a little triangle there. So look to me like you do want to try to fly into Victoria if you need to fly. But if you live in that area of the world anyway, it might be actually super easy for you to, to come and attend in person. Like I said, I will be there in person. I'm very excited about it. I'll tell you more about it in just a moment. I just want to let you know too, though, that these these conference uh, organizers they, who are women physicians, Canadian they put on an event like no other. I'm not even kidding. Their virtual event last year, like I couldn't even, I was like, what is happening? This is so good. They just have this amazing platform. I have to tell you, their swag boxes that they deliver, they mail it right to your door before the conference. Like I couldn't even believe it. I was like, what is happening right now? <laughs> this is like, what? 
I'm telling you, this you're going to want this. It was so good. Like just the details. Ah, oh, incredible, incredible. So here's the thing, it's not a medical conference, it's a wellness conference. So there are no medical talks, talks, okay? So if you're like, "Oh, I don't want to hear about all this stuff." No, this is all about you and making it making you the wellest you can be, <laughs> the most well you can be. So it's a, a large gathering of of women physicians. It's really, you know, <laughs> I asked for some some points. They're like, "Well, it's the best conference in the world." <laughs> I, I, I agree. I think so. It is accredited. So you can get up to 21.75 hours of CME. If you'd like to do that, you get access to all the talks for six months afterwards. So even if you can't attend, if you get the virtual part, and then you can't attend live, you can access all that. I will tell you that last year, I did go back in and accessed the videos after the fact. And it was so smooth. The platform was so nice. You know, sometimes they're like, oh, here's like a Dropbox full of a bunch of videos. It's not like that. It's like just really streamlined. I mean, it's incredible what they put together. Victoria, BC, super beautiful that time of year. I've never been there. I'm really, really excited. The interesting thing that you should note, especially if you're used to US dollars, is that the fees are in Canadian dollars, which is an advantage to those who use US dollars. So you'll want to have a look at that as well. And so topics that they're including, they have personal style, physician burnout, how apologies kill our confidence, surviving the sandwich generation, get organized, ergonomics for physicians, a menopause manifesto. They have an optional workshop day on Thursday. I'm going to that. I'm excited. (laughs) I'm actually really excited. And there's like social events or uh, ways to connect. Even if you're virtual, there's ways that they're just incorporating all of that for you. So, so, uh, you know, it's just it's going to be great. And if you want to come meet me in person and come and join me, then you should come. Okay. So the way to get information about it is go to conference.cwimgather.com. We'll put the link in the show notes again, conference.cwimgather.com. Or you can just also Google CWIM conference 2022, and it should be the first thing that pops up too. So you can get all the details, all the information about it. I have to say, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm dead serious when I say this last year, I went, I spoke and I was like, this is really well done. Wow. Like I really couldn't believe it. So, so anyway, and don't forget if you can't come in person, virtual is worth it for sure. Okay. So check that out. Okay. Now let's get started. So Jody Moore, I asked her, do you have a certain way that you want me to introduce you? She said, no, just say whatever you want. So I'll tell you, I actually share a little story about how before I even really knew her as my friend, she was really quite an inspiration to me, especially very, 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 very early on in my in my coaching days when I was first getting going, starting to figure out how to do coaching as a <laughs> as a profession. She was really an inspiration to me, kind of got to know each other a little bit. And then what really bonded us as like soul sisters was our year long escapade in master coach certification. It was that year was just her and me. We were the only two who did it (laughs) that year. And it was really, truly very bonding for us, but also personally transformative for both of us as well. Yeah, it's it was like, you know, those it's like, you know, those those experiences that you have where you're like, we could not talk for 30 years, and we'd pick right back up again. That's that's the bond that I have with Jody. So Jody is an um, excellent coach. She's going to tell you more about her and what she, you know, who she serves. But the main group of people that she serves are moms. Now I do want to just let you know that if you are not a mom, you might be like, oh, well, you know, <laughs> am I going to get anything out of this? You definitely will because there's so many through lines really between what she talks about with parenting to weight loss and other areas of our lives that we struggle with. And she points those out as well as we go along. So don't just be like, oh, well, you know, my kids are grown or I don't have kids or whatever. Like this isn't for me. It's for sure for you. Okay. And yeah, she just, she has just a lovely, very down to earth perspective on things. She, I always feel like she's like the one who gives permission. She's just like, did you know you could just think this? And you're like, really? Am I allowed to? She's like, yes. <laughs> and she just talks about, you know, I ask her about, you know, parents who yell at their kids, parents who have a favorite child, like wanting to be a good parent, wanting to be a good mom, how to think about that. And she has a new book out called Better Than Happy that she tells you a little bit about as well. So you're going to want to uh, check her out for sure and listen to this lovely interview with my friend. Jody Moore. Jody Moore, I am so happy to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you, Dr. Ubell. Thanks for having me. 
<laughs> so happy to be here. You haven't called me Dr. Ubel in a while. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I haven't talked to you in a while. That's I know. why. So, so, so happy to have you here. This is so fun. So I am so happy to introduce you to all my listeners. They need some Jody Moore in their lives. So I'm so excited to have you here. So let's just start off with you introducing yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do and all that. Okay. Well, I coach like Katrina. In fact, Katrina and I went through master coach certification together. Do you realize that was like four or five years ago? I think it was a six while years ago. ago. Wasn't it 2018? Four years ago. It was a while anyway, ago. so I've been coaching for a little while. I also am a mother. I have four children ages six to 16. So I'm kind of in the thick of raising kids right now and a, a husband and cat and a dog and all those things. My focus in coaching is I work with primarily moms. I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So I I do bring sort of a faith-based approach, although a lot of my clients are not members of that faith. But in compared to the world of life coaching and self-help in general, a more conservative approach, you might say. And so that's what I love doing, just helping empower uh, women, especially moms, around all the challenges that we face in our world. I love that. And I have to tell you that you were like super instrumental. I mean, I told you the story before. I don't know if you remember, but when I very first started off in business, you had already been doing coaching for a while and you were kind of like one of the people that was like, Ooh, look, Jody's got like, she's one of the coaches who has a successful business. And I remember just thinking like, I need a role model. Like I need an example of somebody who can show me that it's possible to do it with small children at home. I think my youngest child at the time, I think she was like three or two or something like that. She was really little, all the other kind of women that I felt like who had, you know, that I could like look up to either had like, you know, a stepchild who was older, who was kind of with them part of the time or, you know, older children and like their you know, their husband or their spouse was like mostly taking care of the kids. And I was just like, but okay, I don't have that. So like, it was easy to think it is impossible for me, but you were the one I was like, okay, but Jody does it. And Jody has four kids. So she's got (laughs) one more than me. And your youngest was younger than my youngest. I'm like, okay, so she can do this. There's no reason I can't do this. And that really was very inspiring for me, especially early on going like, she can do this. I can do this. And so that's good. That's what I tell people. I'm like, I have four kids and also I'm kind of a mess. I'm not super organized. I'm not super smart. I'm not, I'm not anything special. So truly, if I can do this, anyone can do this. I really do I believe always that. Love, I'm like, well, if I email Jody, she'll never look at it. So I have to no. know, like, as your friend, <laughs> what are the ways to actually get her attention? Now I have an assistant that does my email. So that's good. But Lucky yes, <laughs> it's true. So it's true. So the big excitement in your world is that you published a book and it's called Better Than Happy, which I love that title. That's also the name of your podcast. So of course we have podcast listeners here. They can always check that out. I, you know, having gone through the book writing process myself and I'm gearing up myself to be um, publishing my book and everything. I'm just so excited to just let everybody know about it because it really, it's like, we know writing a book is a lot of work and then you embark on the journey and you're like, oh, <laughs> I'm shocked that so many books even are written. And published. Right? <laughs> this is incredible. <laughs> but anyway, I would love for you to talk a little bit more about that title, Better Than Happy, and how that kind of ties into sort of your overall philosophy. Like, what does it mean? So like you said, that is the name of my podcast that I've had for many years. And so that's partly why we titled the book that way. That's kind of how people know me aligned with the branding. But I came up with that title originally because I think we all walk around saying what we really want is just to be happy, or at least when we slow it down, right? When we think I want to lose weight, I want to make money, I want my kids to obey, all these things we think we want. But when we whittle it down and we all realize actually what I want is just to be happy and just to feel good about myself and the world. And that's true. But then there's another layer. And this is something I know you and I both kind of learned in our coaching is like, there's a a deeper purpose at times than just being happy. There is the opportunity for growth, which requires discomfort. There's the opportunity sometimes to make a contribution that might require discomfort. There's even um, back to you know, being a mom, like uh, being pregnant for me, not fun. I know it is for some, for some women, but like 
And yet we are willing to be quote unquote unhappy or uncomfortable when we can see that there's a a valid reason for it. And so I think that understanding that we are capable of a lot of discomfort and that actually having some unhappiness is what makes the peaceful, happy times even more enjoyable is a fun place to help people with. And doesn't mean we have to be there all the time. Like happiness is a noble goal as well, but also maybe growth, contribution, sacrifice. So that's the space I love to help people work in, especially because like I said, I coach moms and they're like, Oh, I have this baby or these toddlers or teenagers, or my adult kids won't talk to me. I'm like, yeah, being a mom is, is half awesome and half kind of terrible, but like we're in, right? Let's go for it. So anyway, that's where the title comes from. I love that. Yeah. I think it's like, it's wrecking. Once you can really recognize that and then come to peace with it, like create an acceptance around it. I feel like then you can understand like there's a balance to it. And, you know, my clients know that I, you know, frequently sharing with them, just even my own work and where sometimes I'm just telling myself, like, like, this is what it's like to be an adult human being. Like, I'm pretty sure nothing's going wrong, even though I feel really quite bad right now. And if I can just stay with myself in this, I have a feeling that that's what I'm supposed to be doing right now. And in doing so, it actually makes you know, that episode of whatever I'm experiencing go by so much faster. So I can move on to the part where I feel better. So I don't need to be like eating a sleeve of Oreos and, you know, trying to avoid that. Like I can just, if I can just stay with myself, then the Oreos are irrelevant. So I love it. I think it's so good. And the other thing I just want to add here and in the book takes you through a whole bunch of different topics related to that. And I, I centered it on themes that come from my religious tradition themes like forgiveness, prayer, loving other people, things that I think a lot of faith traditions share, but I do bring in God and Jesus Christ and things like that in in the book. So if anybody doesn't want that, you're not going to want to read this book. But if you if you can relate to that at all and you want to hear these topics with, you know, like a a Christian-based foundation, that's what this book is. But I, it, just what you were saying Katrina made me think about you know, allowing yourself to feel those emotions and allowing yourself to be unhappy and just knowing that there's a a good reason it's not going to last forever. And I can just sort of ride this out is what makes it really tolerable and makes it not so painful. And I think this is true with emotional pain. It's even true with physical pain. It's the same thing, right? I just saw this video earlier today on Instagram, maybe you've seen it, a doctor who was about to give shot, a pediatrician like yourself about to give a shot to a baby. And I mean, when I say baby looked like maybe a year old or so, and the dad's holding the little boy, he just has his diaper on and the doctor has, you know, the syringe with the needle covered up. And he's sort of like playing a game with the little boy and sort of tickling him and like rubbing it on his forehead. And the kid's just like laughing and giggling. And so you can see the child, like, He looks a little suspicious in the beginning. He just slowly loosens up and starts kind of laughing and having fun and playing with this doctor. And then the doctor removes the cover and gives him the shot in the leg. And he just moves on. The baby doesn't even cry because while it's of course, uncomfortable getting a shot, the physical pain, the fear, the discomfort is way more intolerable to us than the actual pain. And that's true with emotions or physical pain. It's so fascinating to me how we work as humans. It's like the anticipation is so bad, right? Yes. Like I, I can't feel that. So let me do all these things to try to avoid it. That creates more pain for us, where if we would just be willing to feel it and go through it, like you said, whether it's physical or emotional, oftentimes. And, and even just the fear of like, who is this guy? What's about to happen? Is this going to hurt? Like, so the doctor takes a minute to be friendly in the, in a way that a baby can relate to, it changes the whole experience. And I, my guess is like, still, he might've cried from that shot, but probably wouldn't be the level of freak out that yeah, I remember my like baby's having. terror and pain all yes. amping up together. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, love it. Love it. Okay. Let's yeah. talk about momming because momming okay. is tough. <laughs> so tell me <laughs> it is. what are some of the common issues that you coach moms on? What comes up for you in your program? Yeah. I mean, there's probably a handful of themes. Um, I'll try to pick the ones I think would be most relevant to all of your listeners who have kids or kids in their lives. Even the first one is this 
sort of, it feels innate, the need to try to control our kids. It feels like it's our responsibility to get them to behave a certain way or to to be happy and well-adjusted and successful and contributing and honest and all, all the things we want for them, which it's, I think, a totally healthy and good thing to want those things for your kids. But there's a difference between parenting and trying to control them. So the difference, the difference is, yeah, <laughs> I can tell the people are like, great, tell me what the great. difference What's is. the difference? <laughs> you can tell the difference by how you feel when you're guiding or holding your kid accountable or even teaching them. Okay. So if I am trying to, let's say I have a kid that is getting bad grades at school and I know my child is capable of better grades. Okay. So if I'm trying to get my child to improve his grades so that I can feel better so that I don't have to worry, or I can not feel like I'm doing a bad job as a mother. So any kind of negative emotion I'm trying to escape, right? If I try to get him to change so that I can feel better then I'm trying to control my child. And sometimes it works. Sometimes we can control them and then it's easier for us to feel better. But the problem is that most of the time it's not our most effective parenting and it doesn't always work. And so what we try to do in coaching is to slow down and look at like, you can still choose to hold your kid accountable to turning in their homework and getting certain grades in school, but don't hang your emotions on whether or not he does it. That's when we get into trouble. And that's when we actually turn into worse mothers, worse parents from trying to control. I think one of the things that made the biggest difference for me, was when I finally, I don't like know exactly the moment this happened, but like, I finally really sunk in for me. Like they are on their own path, their own journey. Like I am not in control of this. I can think I am, and I can try to control it, but no matter how hard I try, it might influence things, but they're really on their own path. And so, you know, it's really just not up to me. So then who do I want to be in helping to assist them through on their journey? Right. That's right. And I don't know about you, but when I explain that to clients, remind them, we all know this, that we can't control our kids. Right. But we sometimes need the reminder. And initially for some people that sounds so disappointing until we realize what you just said is sets us free. Like I'm not, I was never meant to control my children and how they turn out isn't as much a reflection on me as I like to think it is. It like when they're doing amazing and they're <laughs> getting great grades, that also is not about me. Exactly. And when you, when you can like distance yourself from trying to control them and just offer whatever you want to as a mother, right? Offer anything that's valuable to you. I teach my kids about their brains and their emotions. I teach them about what I believe about God. I teach them what I think is important about health and, you know, teach them all the things you want to teach, but know that they're going to take what they want and they're not going to want all of it. And they're going to develop their own ideas and opinions. And that's okay too. So anyway, that that's the first thing. And it, it kind of leads into what I'd say is the second most common thing I coach on, which is wanting to feel like I'm a good mom. That comes up so often. Right. And I would imagine it's, it, it doesn't have to be as a mom. Like I want to believe I'm a good doctor. I want to believe I'm a good, whatever I am. Yeah. Any role I play, I want to believe I'm good at it. And this one though, I think for many people anyway, is really heavy because it's one thing to go like you and I are both coaches, right? It's one thing to go, okay, well, maybe today I wasn't a great coach or maybe in this area of my business, maybe I'm not great at this thing yet. Okay, I can be compassionate with myself. But when it comes to our kids, when I tell a woman like maybe you're maybe you weren't being a good mom then. Maybe in some ways you're not. In many ways like we're not good at all of it, right? It feels so heavy like how can that be okay? These are my kids in in many cases they're my flesh and blood or it, I love them, right? So how can I be okay with that? you know what? That's the reality of it. I'm always trying to explain to women, if your kids were supposed to, if any kid in the world was supposed to have a great mom, they would have robots for moms. <laughs> like whatever you believe existentially, like God didn't create a bunch of robot mothers. He said, you know, who will be the mothers to the babies, all of the other humans. 
And, and like, you think about Katrina, like things, like when you applied to go to medical school, there was a very rigorous process and you had to meet certain requirements and get accepted before they said, okay, you can become a doctor now. There isn't that for becoming a mom. Exactly. There isn't. And I don't think that's an accident. I think it's because our kids are actually supposed to have moms who are good at some things, who are terrible at other things, who are on some days, really loving and kind. If you're lucky, you'll got a mom like that, right? On some days, loving and kind. And on some days, just a mess and short on patience and snapping and yelling. I think that even though that might create quote unquote problems for them in the end, I think that's the way it's supposed to go. I think we're supposed to even be part of their problems. And not that we are doing that intentionally, of course, but I don't think that anything's gone wrong when that happens. I think, I think what I'm hearing is like just the acceptance when you can just accept the true, like humanness, you know, the humanity in you, like, and in everyone else, like sometimes your best is horrible. It's really, really, really not great. And that's what it's like to be human. Again, like once I feel like once I got to the place where I'm like, I am totally going to screw this up. Nobody knows what they're doing. All of us are winging it. All of our parents were winging it. Their parents were winging it throughout the entirety of human history. Everyone's been winging it. So like maybe nothing's going wrong and I could just decide that, you know, I'm doing an okay job or maybe even better than okay job. What I found was I actually was a better mom in my like definition of that. Like I was so much more patient, more lighthearted, more easygoing, you know, snapping less. Once I stopped trying to be a good mom, I became a better mom, if that makes sense. You know, like I stopped even having the expectation of myself. Well, and that's the important part to keep in mind, because when, when, again, when we're just coaching in the the story in your mind and showing people like, maybe, maybe you're not supposed to be any better. Maybe thinking, I just want to be a great mom. Isn't a useful thought. It's common for people to go, well, that doesn't feel right or sound right to me. But when we really play it out and look at how do you show up from shame and guilt? versus how do you show up from compassion and acceptance and curiosity about yourself? You're always a better mom from those more useful emotions. So it's, it's sort of, it's like the work you do with weight loss, right? Like you have to love and appreciate your body in order to lose weight. Right. And people think once I lose weight, then I can love and appreciate my body. No, you, and then why would I, what do you mean? I should love and accept and embrace my body as it is. Then I'm never going to lose weight. No, actually that is the way to lose weight. It's the same with parenting. You got to embrace yourself. I have this story too. I have to share because I don't know. Do you remember when we were in master coach training, we went to dinner one night. So we weren't even like in the thick of coaching. We were just like as friends at dinner. Right. And you and I both have sons who have some similarities in terms of their sensitivity level and things like that. And my, my son gets really anxious and nervous. And so we were just talking about what they were like as babies and everything. And do you remember this? When you said to me that there was a new study, you asked me if he had acid reflux as a baby. And I said, I, I think he did. Remember, this remember this? Okay. <laughs> you remind me. No, this is, this was like so powerful for me, this experience. And you didn't even mean it to be, I don't think, but I think we were probably just talking. Yeah. We're just chatting. Yeah. <laughs> you said, did he have acid reflux as a baby? And I said, I think he did, but he was my first baby. So I didn't realize that it wasn't normal to spit up that much. And a lot of his symptoms, once I had more babies and realized, oh, I think Isaac, there was something going on. Anyway, he cried a lot. He wouldn't sleep unless I was holding him. And then you told me, as doctors do, about the latest study you'd read. <laughs> Should have just shut my <laughs> mouth, probably. <laughs> no, this is so, I'm so glad this happened because you said that there was this study that said that babies with acid reflux, because we put them to sleep on their backs, they can't curl up and like comfort themselves. And so while their brains are forming, right, in this in this stage of life, they become afraid of the world because they're in pain and they can't do anything about it. And it's, you know, according to a study, this could be true. Well, of course I, and you didn't intend it this way, but I felt so bad. Like, oh my gosh, I, like, if I would have just held him more or got his acid reflux treated, he may not have developed with this brain that has lots of fear and lots of anxiety. And so I went through this stage of like, because I was a coach at the time, I knew the tools of coaching. I was just like, okay, 
Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not true, right? There might be another study in a couple of years that says something totally different. But rather maybe that than, study doesn't even apply to what was going on for him because we don't even really know. Maybe he didn't even have <laughs> acid reflux. Like right. I, I knew all of these were thoughts, but where I found the most peace was not to go to the land of like, maybe it's not true. Maybe I didn't cause this, but to instead embrace, maybe I did. Maybe it's true that if I had held him, he wouldn't have developed with so much fear and anxiety and his life would be different today. Maybe that's true. And maybe he's supposed to have a life with some fear and anxiety. And maybe if I was supposed to know differently as his mother back then, I would have known differently back then. And, and or maybe he would have developed fear and anxiety in a different way. Like, like that maybe is that where... like his path is to work through fear and anxiety. And it's like, it could be through this way or another way or another experience that, you know, would bring it out. Yeah. Yeah. And as painful as it is to think like, I'm going to create problems for my kids. The, the most confidence and peace comes from like, yeah, I am not intentionally. Right. But that's the reality. And I love me and I'm the perfect mother for him. And let's focus now on the present and the future instead of the past. So right. anyway, right. <laughs> that was well, you're fun. welcome. I guess. Thanks, Thanks Katrina. <laughs> no, it was, it was a really powerful experience for me. And so anyway, awesome. Good. Good. <laughs> but no Good. more studies. Don't send me your studies. Oh, no, anymore. no. <laughs> So, so one thing that actually came up, you know, in our program, and I think in yours too, we have written coaching that is anonymous, you know, where people can write in and, and, you know, ask a question. And we had someone who write, who wrote in saying that she felt really guilty about the fact that she really does have a favorite child. And interestingly, then there were several other clients who asked, you know, in their one-on-one coaching, they wanted to talk about that. Like several other people found it. And saw it. And like, you could tell it was like, Ooh, that struck something with people. And that is, I mean, totally one of those supposed to's, you know, like in the sense that you're not supposed to, right. Like everyone thinks it's awful to feel like more connected to one of your children than the other, or that you should like, you know, what if you just like one of them more than the other? I mean, some of them are more likable, like <laughs> it's just easier to like them, you know? So I'm just curious what your thoughts are, if that's ever come up in coaching something like that and how you approach that. Well, first of all, growing up, I had four siblings. So there were five of us total. And whenever we would say, why does she get to do that? And I don't, my dad would always say, because she's my favorite. (laughs) So (laughs) it didn't matter who it was. (laughs) It didn't matter. That was just always his explanation. So we all got, we're like, oh, all right. So it's kind of a joke in our family. But yeah, I think this is one of those things that like, my guess is like the reason it it sort of took off in your community there is because it's one of those things that we don't dare say out loud because we have shame around it. We think that there's something wrong that you shouldn't, you shouldn't have a favorite child. And so when somebody has the courage to say it out loud, gives everyone else permission to go, what? Yeah, me too. Me too. And that's a really healthy thing. First of all, to just discuss things out loud. But second of all, the way I think about this topic and this has to do with whether it's your favorite child or am I, do I love my husband or is he getting on my nerves or whatever it is? It sort of, it discounts the fact that we're dynamic human beings. And so are the people in our lives. And even for me to say, I love my husband, or I feel very connected to this child is sort of a lie because some moments I love my husband, other moments he's getting on my nerves. Some moments I'm not even thinking about my husband. Some days I feel very connected to my daughter, Macy, and other days I feel disconnected and and that can change from moment to moment. So the truth is we are dynamic creatures as are the people in our lives. And so it would make sense to me that there would be moments when you are liking one child more than the other. Even if you're like, okay, but I always like this one the least, or I always like this one the most still, my guess is that that's going to change. Like think about when we were kids, right? If you have siblings, when you're kids, there's like the sibling that you didn't get along with it. Now as an adult is your best friend. Like we're talking about lifetimes here when those things may change. And that to me speaks to the idea that we're all human beings. 
that we have thoughts, people around us. Yes, they're all circumstances. They're all neutral. But if we tried to pay attention to every thought all day, we couldn't do it. We'd, we'd be exhausted. I just don't even think it's possible. We wouldn't do anything. We're just right. Think so, yeah. So the the ninety eight ninety nine percent of the time, even once you found the tools of thought work and you found coaching and you know you can, you're still only going to do that one or two percent of the time. The rest of the time, your brain's going to operate operate on default as we want it to. And so, of course, you're going to at times prefer one over the other. If you make that mean you're a bad mother, or you don't love your kids enough, or something you're going to send yourself further down that spiral instead of just being curious about it. I think it's an opportunity for curiosity. And I think, like you said, it's just not a should situation. I think it makes perfect sense that some of your kids are easier for you to love than others. Totally. And I think just like as they change and grow and they go through different phases, it it can totally change. You know, you feel more connected to this one because of that interaction or that thing that you did, or just the phase that they're of life that they're in. And, you know, or they're like a baby and cute. And, you know, then you've got like a three-year-old who's a, you know, little terror right now or whatever. Like, yeah, you're not going to like that one as much. It's okay. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it's just, even things like health and weight is this way. I always think like when we talk about ourselves as being overweight or in shape or whatever, again, we're discounting the dynamics that our bodies are like we change from minute to minute, but certainly over weeks, months, and years, our bodies are changing. So am I a healthy person or am I unhealthy? Well, it's interesting because whatever you define yourself as is what you're going to end up creating in the end. Am I somebody that is well off financially or do I struggle financially? These are dynamic changing things. So when you know that, even think of the whole Bernie Madoff thing, people who thought they were rich, even though the reality was they didn't have the money, right? Like our brains, like, so they felt amazing, even though the reality, the truth was they didn't have that money. Yeah. I'm, I'm rereading. I know you've read this book several times. Gay Hendricks book, the big leap. It's so good. I love that. It's so good. I'm listening to it on audible this time. It's just a reminder to me that these things are all dynamic. And so the story you believe to be true, like if you believe you're an overweight person, if you believe you're a healthy person, if you believe you're a rich person, then you're going to work to make that true. Even if you have moments that don't align with that. Mm -hmm. And so basically the filter through which you're like, I'm a healthy person. So you want to reinforce that belief, you know, that identity, and then you're going to take steps and actions that align you with that much more than if you think you're unhealthy, then you'll find more evidence for that. You know, like why would an unhealthy person eat broccoli? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, why would you do that? Yeah. Or even when you do, and this is an area I'm still working on, honestly, like I've been fortunate enough to get an advanced copy of your book and I've been reading it. And in the intro, when you talk about losing the same 40 pounds over and over again, like, yeah, I think I'm still in that stage of losing the same 20 pounds over and over again, because I I know how to lose weight, but I still don't know how to keep the weight off because I haven't changed the story in my head of being a person who eats healthy, who doesn't love sweets, who exercises regularly. Like in my mind, I'm like, I know I can do that. I can be that person, but I don't think I truly view myself as that person. And that's why I just keep recreating. Mm, so the same it's thing. like that final identity shift has yes. like hooked in. Yeah. And I know exactly what you're talking about because for the longest time still, I was like, I don't know. Like, is this really like, you know, it, is this really permanent? And now I'm like, without a doubt, this is done. This is done. And that's because the identity really has shifted. And so if you go on a trip and you eat more than normal or whatever, and you gain some, or if you, I know you're done, I think you're done having babies, but like, if you, you know, if you went through something and for whatever reason gained weight, it wouldn't panic you. Right. No, not in the slightest. Like you just You're like, oh yeah. Okay. Well, I know how to lose weight and I know what to do and you just do it. And I think that's how, that's how I know that I, I haven't quite made the shift yet because when I do lose weight, I'm a little nervous. I'm a little nervous about like, what if I gain it back again? And, and so it's fine. I think, I think like, the, the part that shifted for me with that, that I think that really made the big difference was finally doing the work on the like 
when I say over desire, what I really mean is like my belief in the over importance of certain foods. So whether it's like, you know, sugar in general, anything with sugar or like just chocolate or, you know, crunchy, salty stuff, or like whatever it is that is somebody's like that thing, especially like what you find yourself coming back to again and again, it's like really getting to that place of like, this is literally not important. I could eat it. I could not eat it. It's not like, Oh, I can't have that. Or I shouldn't have that. Or like, that's not good for me or whatever. Like it is literally just food sitting there. It has no power. I can eat it. I cannot eat it. I want to get to a place where I could take it or leave it. I don't really care. And another example for me of when that I was like, Oh, I've got it. Like, you know, every now and then you've got that like little like light goes off is my husband and I were in Paris and we went to some like patisserie and picked out, you know, a couple different things and we go into a park and we're sitting there eating it. And I had one bite of two things and he, and I just like legit did not want more. Now in the past, I would have 100% had more. I mean, like there was no question, like would have eaten more. I just, my body made it clear. Like, I don't really want to eat that right now. It tasted good. I could eat more. Could I make myself eat that? I could. I don't want it. And the reason I didn't want it is because of the way I was thinking about it. it would have been so easy to be like, this is my chance and you're in Paris and this is like very special. And, you know, it's just like your only chance to have this and like, who cares you're on vacation? But I also just did not want it. And that's when I was just like, oh, I love this so much. <laughs> I love just literally not caring. Well, and that whole, it kind of reminds me of the concept of sunk cost right? Where people be, but we already paid for this. And like you said, we're in Paris. We may not, we're not going to come back here maybe ever again. And, and it's like, okay, but yeah, we are in Paris on vacation and I want to enjoy being, I don't want to feel sick and bloated and whatever. Like I don't, if I don't want it, why am I going to ruin my Paris vacation? Because I spent the $10, whatever I already spent the money. So whether I eat it or not, the money's already spent. Like these are things that I know our basic common sense, but they're, they require for me, like slowing it down and playing it out of my head before I realize like it makes more sense for me to not eat this because I don't right. care to eat it than to eat it. And what you find over the, t- over the course of time too, is when you don't really want it, it doesn't taste that good. So when you think though, that it should taste better, or this should be like mind blowing or the best thing that's ever happened, then you'll keep eating, hoping that maybe it's the next bite. That's going to be the thing that, you know, knocks your socks off. And then before you know it, you're like, why did I eat all that? I shouldn't have had that, you know, cause I don't feel good or I feel lethargic or whatever. It's like you live in my head. It's the same thing I notice I do when I scroll Instagram. I'm like, that, that's kind of boring. That's not that interesting. There's going to be something good coming. Where is it? Where is it? And I just keep scrolling like, no, there's going to be something really good. And <laughs> like the thing I can't miss is just around the corner. <laughs> <laughs> it's so crazy how we do this. It's all I can say though is, and maybe it was just because I felt like I suffered with this for so long that it like, that gave me a lot of drive and motivation to really figure this out. You know, like, like it's for me, it has been when I talk about like peace and freedom around food, like that is what I'm talking about where I'm like, I could give a crap at what size you wear. I don't care. I am anything like that. What I wish for people is peace and freedom around food where it's like, if you want it, you eat it. It's not like I don't ever eat desserts. And there's other times where I'm like, yes, I totally want that. And I'll eat it. But to be in that place where you could really, truly take it or leave it, you're only going to have it if you're really getting true pleasure out of it. And then just letting it go otherwise and not having like chatter or like, oh, and should I, and should not, you're just like, you just let, it's just not important. That only came for me when I really did that work to just be like, this is literally like molecules stuck together that are digestible. Like, <laughs> right. Like this is not that exciting. Molecules really stuck together that is. are digestible <laughs> that won't poison me if I put them Will in not my body. Poison me, right. Like it's really not as important as I had, you know, led myself to believe for literally decades of my life. So it was like a very much like an unlearning and deciding this is the way I'm going to think about it. And going from there, the interesting thing is like watching my kids with, you know, we just have all this Easter candy and all the stuff around and everything. And like one of my kids in particular, we've seen this now a couple of times 
where um, I'm not going to say the gender to <laughs> out, <laughs> but this particular child will, I, I really want them all to learn how to really listen to their body and you enjoy it. And then there comes a point where it isn't so good anymore. And now it's time to stop. And this particular child has now on several occasions, like pushed that and then gotten sick you know, like literally like vomited it up. And, and I'm just like, they are going to figure this out. Like, this is going to be such a great lesson. Like their body's doing the work for me. I don't have to tell them, you, you know, I think you should stop eating. It's like their body is saying that was too much. And then like learning, like, okay, this is the amount that gives me pleasure is a fun treat. And then it's too much. I don't know if I've ever gotten sick like that in my life on candy. I think I could probably eat a lot more even, but like this particular child's body does that, you know, but I'm, I kind of look at them like, what a good learning experience. Like, yeah. Okay. So that was too much. So like, think about what your body felt like. And maybe, you know, no one's taking this away. There's plenty more, you know, we can go to the store anytime and buy this stuff. You know, it's like, you don't have to get into that. And that just was definitely not my experience growing up. Like not even so much. I mean, I think it was partly just surroundings, but also just like my brain as a kid, for whatever reason, was like, ooh, sugar, you know, like this is really, really important. Well, and I and just to bring this back around to what we were talking about with being being a parent, being a mom, I do see that the healthier we get our own selves around food and weight and bodies, obviously the more effective we are at teaching our children because the challenge is there are going to be areas that we haven't figured out ourselves. And meanwhile, we're trying to teach kids about, we're trying to teach them to love their bodies and not overeat and all the things. It's a tough dance when you're pretending. And I, I do coach a lot of moms who have kids who are overweight and they're asking me, how do I, like, I don't want to cause an eating disorder or, or, you know, imply that my child, that this is a big deal. I don't want to reinforce the toxic messages that we've all gotten around bodies, but I do want to help my kid be healthy. And I love the way you described there where you're just like, it's such a good example of you have your head straight about food. And so you know how to like teach your kids about what too much sugar is going to do and, and sometimes let natural consequences play out. There's not like a fear and an intensity around the subject for you. And that's what I'm always trying to show these people. Like, listen, you got to do the work and, and figure it out, figure out your own thoughts around food and bodies and everything. And then you won't need to ask because they're like, just tell me what to say. Like, you're not going to need to ask me what to say when you clean up your own fear and intensity around it. It really has to start with us. And I think it starts with honesty too. when we're not there, like I, I sometimes will tell my daughter, cause now I have a, you know, almost 15 year old daughter she has a healthier view on it than I do. Cause I think her generation is healthier around it. So she made a comment the other day that someone had, had said to her friend, you're really skinny. And my daughter's telling me this story. And she's like, so offended. Like, can you believe she said that to her? And in my mind, I'm I like, I can't separate out. Oh, we, were 50, we would have been like, thanks. <laughs> well, even now I'm like, isn't that a compliment? Wasn't she complimenting her? I didn't say this. This is just what's happening in my head. Yeah. Like in my mind, your skinny is the equivalent of a compliment. But as I just kind of paused and watched my daughter and let her keep talking, I realized she has a much healthier view than I do of body. She realizes your skinny isn't a compliment or an insult. It's just an observation, but it does make the body an object. Right. It's like, right? she's kind of like, why are we even commenting on body? It's like, why like, is why that why relevant? Anything? Exactly. Why would you say that? Yeah. It's completely irrelevant. And I realized that in that moment, like, oh my gosh. Okay. I still have socialization or whatever around bodies. Luckily she's a little healthier about it, but I just, I know I'm going to say the wrong thing. Right. So I try to be, I think this is again, back to parenting. Like I try to be honest with her. I go, man, I love that you think about it that way. You know what? Honestly, like I still have some messed up views about bodies and I forget things and I'm still working on it. And I just, I think we have to be honest about our shortcomings sometimes with our kids, you know? But looping it even back to like the controlling our kids. I see this so often when it's like, you know, I struggle with my weight. I don't want my kid to, but I can tell by the way that they're, you know, acting around food or the way they eat or just what their body looks like or whatever they're struggling. And then they're just in knots, like so upset about their child struggling. And, and, you know, because, because what they, I mean, it's like such a pure 
you know, intention behind it, which is like, I want to spare them from having to suffer the way I did. And I'm just like, you're not in control of what there's going to cause suffering for them in their lives. That's right. You know, I think you should probably be focusing on yourself and working through this on your own. And they're on their own journey to sorting out food and their bodies and all of that stuff. And of course you can work to be a good example, but the best example you can be is by the way that you act. Right. Because, you know, we all know that like, do as I, as I say, not as I do. Right. It's like, like they're watching and they're picking up on stuff. Even if we think they aren't. And that's, I think the healthiest thing that we can do is just work on ourselves and be an example of like, you know, or at least an example of an adult really working to be emotionally, you know, well, and really taking good care of themselves. Yeah, that's true. And not mirroring. I get a lot of like, well, my kid is anxious. My kid is whatever. And I say, the only thing you can do is not be anxious about their anxiety. Or my kid is, my kid doesn't have any confidence. You have to not be insecure about their insecurity. Like that's it. But that's way more powerful than we realize actually. It is actually really, really powerful because it gives you your, like we, I think so much of the the controlling comes from like, we want to do something. And we think the thing that we need to do involves the child when like we'd be, so, everyone would be so much better served if we put that energy toward working on ourselves around that area. And like, just like you described, I love that. Okay. And then when the kids, when my kids say I have anxiety, I'm like, yeah. Sometimes it happens when we're a human. We can talk about it, but I'm not like anxious about the anxiety. Right. Like, shoot, tell me about your anxiety. Are you? Yeah. And of course, every child is different. And we have to say, you know, depending on the child and what's going on, you have to use your best judgment because right. there could and be a child who needs, yeah, of course, yes. like needs professional help. And of course, we would never say you should not be doing that. But, you know, not thinking that, not sending kids the message that every uncomfortable emotion they experience is something to be fixed. You know, that's really what it comes down to. Okay. I, I have one more thing I want to, I want to just ask you about before we wrap up. And that is when I, I just love what you tell people when they're like, I yell at my kids and I'm so embarrassed that I yell at them. <laughs> and I just like want to know how to stop yelling at my kids. Oh yeah. So let's talk about yelling at kids. I do coach on this a lot too. Yeah. Okay. So the temptation is to think, okay, I yelled at my kids. That's terrible. I'm a terrible mom. I shouldn't do that. How do I change it? And so we always rewind it. I always unwind it and say, okay, what's the reason why you yelled? The real reason, right? And that it's not because the kids didn't listen and it's not because you're a terrible mom. It's because yelling works actually, right? So if you ask them five times to get their shoes on and they ignore you, and then you finally yell and then they get their shoes on, then your brain takes note. It goes, oh, that was effective that got it done. In fact, next time let's skip the first four tries and go right to yelling. Cause that's the fastest, easiest way to get them to behave. And so before you know it, we have a pattern of yelling. So you have to acknowledge that. Okay. I'm not a bad person and they're not naughty children or difficult children. We just have, have gotten into a routine now where I yell and then they respond. And then I feel bad. The next layer of that is, is to stop beating yourself up because you can't, yell at yourself for yelling at your children and think that you're going to be doing less yelling. Even if it's an internal yelling we do of ourselves, but I'm like, what if you were compassionate and curious and kind with yourself about why you yelled? If you can master that, it'll be way easier to be compassionate and curious and kind with your children about why they're not listening. So that's the oh god, that's two the minute version right there. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. It's so good. <laughs> so good. All right, Jody. So your book, Better Than Happy, it's like at all the retailers, right? Amazon, yeah, and all the Amazon, and yep. yeah, Everywhere. that's the best place. <laughs> okay, <laughs> awesome. So anyone who's interested, of course, check that out. You've got some good stories in there. You know, you've you're like just a very funny person. And so that's comes through in the book, which is always fun, right? Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate it. Well, Jody, I can't believe it's taken so long for us to have a a podcast together, but we're going to get you on mine next. Right. So we'll do that. (laughs) I'm so happy that you came on and so grateful. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Katrina. Ready to start making progress on your weight loss goals for lots of free help, Go to katrinaubellmd.com and click on free resources.